The last Sunday of October on the church calendar is Reformation Sunday. It remembers an event that happened on October 31st, 1517. The truth of the lyrics of that song um, are obvious, hopefully, to us who call ourselves Christian. But they would not have been obvious five years ago. In fact, they would have been novel. In fact, in some circles, they would even have been heresy, false teaching. But it took a little Catholic monk by the name of Martin Luther to not discover, but to rediscover some biblical truths that have been either forgotten or ignored for hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of years. We don't understand how in Europe at that time, in the medieval ages, that there was one church and there was one church only. We cannot even fathom the strength of the church at that time. The church controlled everything in society. It was by far the most powerful institution in all of society. Nothing we have today in 2013 can compare to it. The church decided who got married and who didn't. The church decided whose wills were valid and whose weren't. The church decided who got a proper burial and who did not. The church were in charge of political leaders. The church was in charge of laws of the land. So when a Catholic monk, a young 20-something, by the name of Martin Luther came on and literally challenged the Roman Catholic Church on some of her teachings, it was a very audacious act. Martin Luther was a raised a good Catholic boy. He went to university and soon decided to become a priest. The story goes that he was somehow running from the priesthood and he was riding his horse back one night on a big thunderstorm and he got off the horse scared for his life in the middle of this thunderstorm and prayed to one of the saints, St. Anne, and St. Anne, save me and I'll become a monk. Well, he was saved from that thunderstorm, either by St. Anne or by circumstance, and kept his vow to become a monk. He was a very bright and gifted young man. He excelled in academics. Uh, He soon was asked to become a doctor of theology and teach theology at a new little university in Wittenberg, Germany, a little one-stoplight little town in uh, Germany. And so he was charged to teach New Testament in this little new university. And as he taught New Testament, it forced him to delve into the Scriptures so he could adequately share those with his students. And as he, as he dived into the Scriptures, he was able to find things that would seem to be very di- different than when the Roman Catholic Church was teaching and preaching and he started teaching those things in his theology class, and that, that grew all kinds of problems. And then finally, his disputations, his disputes with the Roman Catholic Church, his differences in, in, in their teaching became so pronounced, 
he, he, he took um, paper and he penned 95 complaints that he had against the Roman Catholic Church. And he took them to the community bulletin board of the time. And the community bulletin board of that time was the door of the church. And he nailed them to the door of his own church that he was the priest of. And now we understand those to be the 95 Theses of Martin Luther. Well, those would have been no big deal if not a few years before there had not been an invention called the printing press. And because there was an invention called the printing press, someone ripped those off of the wall of that door, started mass producing those, and those went all over Europe and eventually made their way to Rome. And I imagine somebody one day went into Pope Leo and laid them down in front of Pope Leo. Now it must be understood that Martin Luther did not want the Catholic Church to be overthrown. He wanted to reform it. That's why it's called the Reformation. He never ever wanted to start a new stream, which eventually happened. He wanted to reform the Catholic Church. And if Martin Luther had had his way, we would all still be Roman Catholics, but with pure teaching. Well, when those 95 disputations, those 95 disagreements that he had with the Catholic Church made their way to the Pope, uh, Luther was called to account because of that. And uh, calling to be, be able to be called into account in that day and time for false teaching and heresy was a very serious thing. If someone now is a, is, is someone says, well, he's teaching heresy, he's a, he's a heretic, he's, he's teaching false teaching, that's not biblical. You know, we may leave his church or something, but he won't get his head chopped off. That would, that's what happened in that day and time. He would have been excommunicated. And when you're excommunicated, you know, we don't even have a process for this, but if, you, if, if there was a process to get excommunicated from the Nazarene church, you'd probably just go down the street and go to the Methodist church, the Baptist church. There was no other church to go to. So if you were excommunicated, you were cut off from society because the church covered everything. So Luther was called to something of a courtroom to be able to explain his actions. And there was one objective to that court they were to make Luther recant. And that's just basically say, I didn't mean it. I was wrong. I reject these teachings, these books that I've written. So he was called to, depending on who you hear pronounce the word, it's spelled D-I-E-T, just like we understand the word diet today. But some people pronounce it diet. That he was called to the diet of Worms, Germany, which was something of a court in the assembled power of northern Germany was all there, and even head of all Europe was there. And this little Catholic monk was going to be called before the assembled powers of all of Europe at that time and the church and be able to be called into account for his teaching. Now, I can tell you that, and I can tell you that story, and some of you will listen, and some of you will get bored, but most of you will understand it better if you watch that courtroom scene on video. Mark, can we play that now? Sure. 
Do you, Martin Luther, recognize these books? The 95 Theses, A Sermon on Indulgence and Grace. The Babylonian Captivity, Freedom of a Christian. Address to the Christian nobility of the German nation. Are you the author? All are mine. These books contain heresies against our holy church. Do you recant? what you've written. I... I was... Speak up! May I have time to consider? You've had the time. And you should have been prepared to answer. satisfactorily without injury to the divine word or danger to my soul any one of us might be expected to bear witness unequivocally and fearlessly at any time all the more in your case a famous experienced professor of theology <laughs> We grant you one day. Tomorrow you shall answer. Damn you, go back to hell. Damn you, damn you, damn you. Damn you, go back to hell. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. I feel your foul breath on my neck. Happy devil you are to see me mute. Shaking, shaking, shaking like an animal at the slaughter. Well, where's his faith now? Where's his faith now? Where's his posting now? Where's his posting now? Where's his posting now? I am yours. Martin Luther, are you the author of these writings? I am. Do you recant what you have written here? I cannot renounce all of my works because they are not all the same. First are those books in which I have described Christian faith and life so simply that even my opponents have admitted that these works are useful. To renounce these writings would be unthinkable 
for that would be to renounce accepted Christian truths. He is not here to make speeches, only to answer. The second group of my work is directed against the foul doctrine and evil living of the Pope's past and present. No! Through the laws of the Pope and the doctrines of men, the consciences of the faithful have been miserably vexed and flayed. If I recant these books, I will do nothing but add strength to tyranny and open not just the windows but also the doors to this great ungodliness. He has condemned himself. In the third group, I have written against private persons and individuals who uphold Roman tyranny and have attacked my own efforts to encourage piety to Christ. I confess that I've written too harshly. I am but a man and I can err. Only let my errors be proven by scripture. And I will revoke my work and throw my books into the fire. You have not answered the question. You, Martin Luther, will not draw into doubt those things which the Catholic Church has judged already. Things that have passed into usage, right, and observance. The faith that Christ, the most perfect lawgiver, ordained. The faith the martyrs strengthened with their blood. You wait in vain for a disputation over things that you are obligated to believe. Now give your answer. Yes or no? Will you recant or will you not? Since your majesty and your lordships desire a simple reply, I will answer. Unless I am convinced by scripture and by plain reason and not by popes and councils who have so often contradicted themselves, my conscience is captive to the word of God. To go against conscience is neither right nor safe. I really think none of us have any clue of the importance of that um, that scene that was just depicted. I I don't know how accurate that was. We have some of the words that are still recorded for us, and some of the words are very accurate. But um, the name Martin Luther has gotten lost. In fact, when I say Martin Luther, some of you in here imagine I meant Martin Luther King, probably. In fact, when I went to the family video store this week and I asked for a video on 
you have any videos on the Reformation on Martin Luther? Indeed, as I saw him pull up his computer screen, he pulled up Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King is named after Martin Luther. Martin Luther King's dad changed his name from Michael King to Martin Luther in honor of the one that we just saw depicted there. So what does Martin Luther, founder of the present-day Lutheran Church, have to do with us Nazarenes on October the 27th, 2013? Well, it was not hyperbole at all to be able to say that Diet at Worms, Germany, literally changed everything. Not only about Christianity and the church, but about the way we understand the world. Modern history is changed because of that little monk standing there and saying, unless I'm convinced by Scripture and plain reason. That monk standing there saying, here I stand, I can do no other, God help me. If, if it were not for that man's convictions, it could be argued that the pilgrim fathers would have never come to this land. Because they came to this land for religious freedom. And there was no understanding of religious freedom before the Reformation. Because there was no religious freedom because everything was held by the Roman Catholic Church. And that's why it was such an audacious act for one man to stand in front and literally go against the most powerful institution of the day. It could be argued that the Pilgrim Fathers would have never come to what we now know as the United States and there could, because they came because of religious freedom, which the ground was blazed for that in the early 1500s. Politics is forever changed because of Martin Luther. If we just look at it in a secular way, not even look at it in a spiritual way, modern history has changed. Politics has changed because before that little event there in Worms, Germany, everything was controlled by the church, rulers and institutions, all controlled by the church. And if you went against the church, you went against everything in society. Rulers were appointed by the church. We were subject to the church. Modern day scientific discoveries have a lot to go right back to that event that you just saw on the video screen. Because before then, all science and all any kind of research was controlled by the church. And the church decided what was investigated. And the church decided what results of the investigation got proclaimed to the masses. And after this, the freedom of the individual started to be able to come, and science is what it is today. Don't let anybody tell you that the modern evangelical Protestant movement is opposed to science. Science has happened because of her. The duty and obligation that we have to be able to Listen and follow our conscience has a lot to do with what you just saw right there. Even to the point of being excommunicated from the church and probably burned at the stake as other reformers were beforehand. The duty to follow your conscience and the power of the individual to be able to stand up 
and be able to speak their own mind, even against the assembled powers of the world, had a lot of its roots right there. And when a little black lady would not get up from her seat on the bus in Alabama, one could argue that because of what you just saw depicted and everything that happened after that gave her the strength and the power, freedom of her own conscience to be able to follow that. Those are just some really some secular things that came about because of the Reformation. The Protestant Reformation. We are Protestants. We are Protestants because Martin Luther protested. He protested those 95 things. And because he protested, again, he wanted no break from the Catholic Church. He wanted to reform. It's called the Reformation. He wanted to reform the Catholic Church. He wanted an academic dispute and debate on those issues. That's why you saw the cardinal come up and said, you wait in vain for a disputation on things you are obligated to believe. Obligated as a Catholic priest. Because it's the church of the day. But there are some real spiritual things that have flowed from that reformation that we take for granted today. One is called theologically the priesthood of all believers which means that all of us have the same access to God through Jesus Christ. That none of us has a special inroad. None of us has a, a special back door that we can slide in. None of us has special standing in God's eyes. None of, none of us have, have, because of our position or because of our calling, have some kind of uh, special privilege in the Christian life. You do me a great, great honor and privilege when you share your prayer requests with me. Anyone who's ever been a pastor, it's a tremendous honor for you to share things in your life, for, to tell them to me and for me to be able to pray about them. That's a marvelous honor and one I'm privileged to be able to do. But I have no special road to God that you don't have. I have no golden key. God does not listen to my prayers any more than he listens to your prayers. That was unheard of in the early 1500s. Heresy. And would get you excommunicated and probably burned at the stake. It's called the priesthood of all believers. We take it for granted now. 500 years ago. It's when that started. The understanding that we have of the authority of the Word of God. That, that, that the Word of God is our final authority. That, that the Old Testament and the New Testament and, and the Scriptures that we understand as the Bible are, are the authority that we have for faith and practice. Not some, as he referred to them, some council or some committee. Or even some church. Martin Luther said, if the Catholic Church disagrees with Holy Scripture, then the Catholic Church is wrong. That was just absolute heresy in that day and time. And as he said there, when asked to recant, 
unless, he said, his, unless I'm convinced by Scripture or plain reason. Now, some of you are tracking with me and said, well, Mark, you just contradicted yourself. Because you just said a second ago that Luther brought in the power of the individual's own conscience. But now you said there's authority in the Word of, of God. So which is it? Well, Luther said that his mind is, his conscience, excuse me, his conscience is captive to the Word of God. He said that in the video. It's recorded that he said that. My, my, my conscience is captive to the Word of God. So it's, my conscience is not something that disagrees with the Word of God. Friends, if the Nazarene church in Kansas City says this, but the word of God plainly says this, the church of the Nazarene is wrong. I would say that if I was a Baptist pastor. I would say that if I was a Presbyterian pastor. I would say that if I was a Lutheran pastor and wherever their denominational headquarters are. Before then, it's just whatever the church says. Before 1500, early 1500s, whatever the church says. The church could say whatever it want. And whatever the church said was on a par, even above what Scripture said. And by the way, nobody knew what Scripture said, especially in Germany, because it was only written in Latin. Every day, ordinary Joe and Jane can't read it. And one of Luther's most lasting contributions is he translated the Old and New Testament from Latin to German and made it accessible to everybody. Then everybody could read what the Bible says and then knew the church had teachings that were different. Authority of the Word of God is a spiritual result of what we understand as the Lutheran or the Protestant Reformation. There are several, but there's one other uh, It's, as the song says, salvation is found in Christ alone. The church taught that salvation was not found outside the Roman Catholic Church. You'll never ever hear me say that salvation is not found outside of the church of the Nazarene. Salvation is found in Christ alone. We accept that. We say amen to that. But that was heresy. Salvation was found only through the church. And you had to go through all the seven sacraments of the church. And you had to do exactly what the church told you to be able to do. And salvation was, could even be bought. And I don't have time to go into it, but one of the things that Luther just really flipped over was called indulgences, where, where people were actually paying money to buy themselves out of purgatory, which is this somehow supposed place between earth and heaven where you burn off all your sins. And you drop money in the box, and I can get myself five less years in purgatory. I can drop money in the box and get my grandfather out of purgatory. See, salvation was found in other things. Christ was important, but it wasn't Christ alone. And Luther came along. And Luther came along and said it's in Christ alone. That's no big deal to us. We hear that and we say, yeah, okay, tell me something I haven't heard before. Oh, that was so new back then. 
Luther elevated the cross of Christ above everything that was in Rome. And that threatened, that threatened the power that the Roman Catholic Church had on all of Europe. One other thing I want to tell you about Luther that is a result of the Reformation that is comforting to me this week as I did a little mini-refresher course on Luther. Luther was a very flawed man. He was a very flawed man. His conduct and his language would not be acceptable to us Nazarenes and even to us who would call ourselves evangelical Christian as we understand that today. Very flawed by his own writings, his own admission. Very flawed. But that tells me a couple of things. Even through a flawed vessel, God honors truth. And also it tells me that even though I'm flawed and you're flawed, God can use us. Do a little bit of reading on the internet on Luther and you will find that he's a very, very flawed individual. In just a moment, I'm going to be inviting you to the communion table as you are invited here every single Sunday. I hope this morning that you would come with an added an added something in your spirit on Christ alone. And added something in your spirit that my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. What does frame mean? It means body. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. Who's the sweetest frame in this church? The absolutely most godliest person in this church. The writer says, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean. On Jesus' name. That song that we grew up singing would have been complete heresy before Martin Luther came along. Our pastors are coming to the table to be able to prepare the elements this morning. And this message is completely different than any I've preached since I first started preaching on Father's Day 1996. It's something of a history lesson, something of appreciation for people who have gone before us because we sophisticated people in 2013 think we invented everything, right? There have been years and years and years of people that have gone before us that have blazed the trail for us. And we today celebrate Christ and Christ alone only because some people fought for those truths. 
and rediscovered those truths. I hope no one here has heard this as a bashing of the Roman Catholic Church, which it absolutely was not meant to be. There have been reforms. There were not reforms in Luther's day, and that's why Luther, who simply wanted to reform the church, ended up starting a stream that we now understand as the Lutheran denomination. If it had been Luther's way, we would all be still Roman Catholics, but with some correction in all of the teachings. So this is not a bashing. Can I tell you that there are born-again Christians in the Roman Catholic Church that will be in heaven not because of their Catholicism, just like there won't be a single Nazarene in heaven because of their Nazarendom, but only because of Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray. Father God, um, may we all have an uh, appreciation for our forefathers that have struggled to get us where we are today. Save us from some egotism that says that we have just suddenly discovered things and we're the enlightened ones. There have been people all the way down through the ages like Martin Luther and many others that have fought many battles. But Father, right now we celebrate the biggest battle that was ever fought and that was the battle that was on the cross where you defeated hell, where you took away the chains of death and you bought our freedom because of what Christ accomplished. So I pray now that as we partake of this bread and partake of this cup, you, all remind, you will remind us that we walk forward. And even if we are the sweetest frame, as the song says, we still wholly lean on Jesus' name. Remind us of that as we partake this morning. And we pray these things in the name of Christ. felt a real solemn time there at, at um, communion that seems like maybe we don't feel every Sunday. Maybe it was because we were brought once again face to face with what we're doing and what those elements represent. And our trust and belief in your son and what was, what was bought the day he died. is rather sobering. Also, Father, the, it's a sobering thought to think that Christians can drift so far from the truth. Help us who are called Nazarenes us to honor your word, honor you by honoring your word. So take this message that is, was very different and take it and use it in our 
Christian life. Help us to remember that those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. So help us today um, not to repeat some of the problems of the past because of the little history lesson we had today. We pray these things in Jesus' name.